Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to have you with us today. I'm happy that you are here. In the midst of this sermon series about Advent, we are in the prologue of John, the Gospel. This introduction to Jesus' life that's letting us know what he's going to be talking about. And interestingly enough, a prologue is something that's written before the main part of a story. It gives us some information maybe that we want to know about before we get into the main part of the story, or it's information that we're going to see unfolding throughout the story. And so in these first 14 verses of the book of John, this gospel that's written about Jesus from John's perspective, inspired by God, he's letting us know, here's what's going to happen the rest of this book. But within the prologue, he gives us a personification prologue, a person prologue. And that's these verses that we looked at right now. See, John the Baptist is a prologue. He's this person that comes before the Messiah in order to proclaim the Messiah, to make way for the Messiah. That that. John, as a prologue, is saying to the people in the nation of Israel who are under captivity, who are feeling the weight of Roman occupation, who know that they've been longing for a Messiah, he comes out in the wilderness and says, get ready. The Messiah is coming. Be prepared. The Messiah is on his way. You need to get your hearts in the right places so that when Messiah shows up, you'll be ready. He, he's a prologue. He's helping people prepare. So when the Messiah shows up, they'll be able to recognize him. When Messiah shows up, their hearts will be ready to receive him and know who he is. So in our prologue of these 14 verses, we get this person who is a prologue. And in this prologue, since it's just the beginning, we don't get a whole lot of information about John. And so if I was just going to be um, very exegetical and, and very expository in this sermon, I would say, here are our verses. There was a man sent from God. What does it mean to be sent from God? And we could talk a little bit about that, that he was prepared before he was born, that there was an understanding that he was the one chosen by God to do this work. I, I, I could talk about how his name was John and why that was given to him by God. We'd have to go into other passages to see that. Say he came to bear witness, and what does that mean for us? To actually bear witness of who? The light. The light that we talked about last week. And then we'd be pretty much done, and we'd have tea early. How's that sound? Keep your hands down. So it might be beneficial for us to see kind of what John is on about, who this guy is, so that we can understand why this prologue, this announcement in the prologue of this person prologue is so important for us to know about who he is and what he's on about. So we know that by looking later in the book of John. 
about who he is. And we also need to go to the other gospel accounts in Mark and Luke and Matthew. So those are found really at the beginning of each one of those books. So you're looking at Matthew chapter 2 and 3. You're looking at Luke chapter 2 and 3. You're looking at Mark chapter 1 right off the very beginning. He gets with John right from the very start. And so if you want to sometime this week, go take a look at those you can. I'm going to paraphrase some of these things, tell you a little bit about who he is, and then I'm going to read some of them to you so you know about him. So John is this. John is the cousin of Jesus. John is the one who has foretold to Zechariah to say, you're going to have a son, and he doesn't believe him. John is the one who's in the belly of his mom, who when he, she hears about Jesus coming for Mary, John jumps for joy. He can't wait. So he's born. And maybe Jesus and John hang out. We don't know because that's not there. But when we encounter John first, he probably looks a bit scraggly. He's been out in the wilderness. He's dressed in camel hair. He's feasting on honey and locusts. He's standing. I kind of like digging, actually. He kind of is out by a river and he's calling forth to people. And he's saying to them, you need to repent. You need to turn away from the way that you're living. You need to walk in the way that God has called you to walk. And as he's doing that, people are following him. It says that John gets disciples. That means people who are longing to know his teaching and follow after him. And as they're doing that, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who kind of rule over the temple and, and, and want to uh, really be seen as important, and they were important within the Israelite nation, they come forth and they're questioning him and trying to find out who he is. So, so we're going to jump ahead just a little bit, and, and we're going to look at Matthew in chapter 3. These men come, and this is what he's saying to them. He says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord and making his path straight. This is important. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. We'll get to that here in a minute. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him to be baptized. So all these other people are being baptized and they come and they want to be baptized. And this is how John responds to them. They come forth and they say, John, we'd like to be baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers. What? He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming? Who gave you an idea that you need to change? Who spoke? Because you don't believe me. You don't trust who I am. Who, who's given you this information? And then he lets them know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He looks at him and says, look, if you really want to be baptized, then let me see your work because you're still holding it over everybody. You're still leading people into bondage. You still believe that you're the most important, not because of what God is and who he is, but because of who you think you are. He goes on to let them know or do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. See, their identity is wrapped up not in God, but in who they think they are. He says, for I tell you this, God is able from the stones to bring up his own children of Abraham. Don't think you're that important. Even now, <laughs> the ax is laid to the root of the trees. 
And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, Today's Sunday, by the way, is a Sunday of peace. So are we just preaching about John the Baptist because he falls in this little part of the prologue and, and we can't skip it and it just happened to hit on? No. I think this is the difficult thing for my own heart to grasp, and maybe it is for you, that John actually is a prophet of peace. The axe is at the root? You brood of vipers? Doesn't it sound as if he's really antagonistic? Doesn't it sound as if he really is going? Isn't peace about getting along? Isn't peace about being copacetic and just letting everything go? Isn't peace about being tolerant to everyone, everywhere, at all times, in all places? Well, no, peace, when we look at the meaning of peace throughout all of Scripture, It is the reordering and remaking things as they were meant to be. Shalom peace is that peace moving back to the way God established before the foundation of the world, saying, I know how my world should operate, and I will return it to that place. And so here's John saying, You have your identity wrapped in something else. You have this idea of peace and prosperity that comes from something that will not ultimately fulfill it. And while the words sound harsh to our ears, it is as if a parent saying to a child reaching out for a burning flame, don't touch that. It will burn you. He says to them, look, the axe is here. And if you don't find the way back to the way God ordained this to be, destruction comes. And there is no peace. But if you repent, see, that's what he says I'm preaching about. If you repent and turn, then you will find peace. All right. Okay. All right. Perhaps you're hearing that and you're like, yeah, yeah. All right. Good, good try. Good spin. That, that's nice. I mean, he's calling them brood of vipers. He's telling Max. He's, he, he says that the one who's coming has a winnowing fork who's going to get rid of the things that are bad, that are going to be cast into everlasting fire. Nice try. That's not peace. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Except, except that here John, when he becomes questioned about who he is, when people are wondering who he is, when they, he says what? I'm a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. I'm the one who is bringing about the path of salvation that is to come. Remember I said that's from Isaiah chapter 40? Well, let's go there. So if you want, you can look in your big Bibles there in front of you or look on your devices and go ahead and pull up Isaiah chapter 40. So know this, that that when, when John says this phrase, 
The men and the women who are in that area who hear him say it, they are going to know where it's from. And not only are they going to know where it's from, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to know all of the context of this passage. Right? So they're going to be able to hear it, and their hearts are going to be able to go, oh, here's what he's talking about. Right? Let me start. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare, warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass, and grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Go up onto the high mountain, O Zion. Herald the good news. Lift up your voices with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald the good news. Lift up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and His arm rules for you. Behold His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hands? And marked off the heavens with the spans, enclosed the dust of the earth in its measure, and weighed the mountains in its scales and the hill, hills in its balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord and what man shows him in his counsel? Whom did he counsel and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted for as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon was not sufficed to fuel, nor are its beasts enough for the burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will we liken God? And what likeness compares to him? An idol, a craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. And he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is He, God, who sits 
above the circles of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. And he spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings forth princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely that their stem take root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will we compare me? This is God now. That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created this. He who brings out their host by the numbers, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might and because of his strong, he is strong in power and the one is missing. No one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is degraded, is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator to the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he, in strength, he increases their strength. Even the young shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't want to pretend like I can preach better than God's word. Because I can't. And so I took the time to read that whole entire chapter, that 31 verses, because I want to remember myself and I want to challenge you to hear that as John says, this is who I am, the people around hear it and they know this. And so when it sounds as if he's saying, I'm making right the path of the Lord and it's a path of destruction, he is not saying that. He's saying the way of the Lord is repentance and salvation. The way of the Lord is peace. But if you do not follow it, there is no peace. And so he calls out and says, I am the one in the wilderness saying this so that you will know that peace comes only. That's hard for us to hear and understand, to know and recognize that in God's power, in his majesty and mercy, that sometimes as we want to move towards peace, there has to be an encounter with conflict. Oftentimes that conflict is the conflict of our own heart. That part of us that wants to hold on to what we believe and what we think makes us who we are. See, that's what was happening with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. That's the reason why he says to them, don't think that God can't make his own children out of these stones. Because in their minds, their importance rested on the fact, not that they were from God, but that they were from Abraham. That's a point of conflict. And the same is true for us. That there are places in our own hearts, in our own lives, that we have built up an identity or a place of reality or security that does not rest with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so as God comes and encounters us, there is inevitable conflict that takes place. Because there has to be a battle that happens. Now look, I am a pacifist by conviction. I don't like words like battle and wrath, and Lord's army even. 
They don't ring in my ear well. I know part of that's just me and my own human nature. But I do know that when I encounter the mercy and majesty of God, the one who says, I've come to preach peace to those who are far off and preach peace to those who are near, that the way to peace comes because there is already conflict. We wouldn't know the need for peace if we were not feeling the attack of conflict. And so as John steps in as a prophet of peace, the first thing that he had to do was remind them that they were where? In conflict and in darkness. That's the reason why the prologue is so beautiful, because he says he came to what? Testify as the light. So that all would hear and know and be prepared. But it is in that conflict that we recognize God's steadfast love. As we see in Isaiah chapter 40, this high, magnificent, mighty God who says from the very beginning to the very end, comfort, comfort I bring. I bring rest to the weary. I bring strength to the weakened. I lift them up. Now I'm going to do away with those who are haughty. I'm going to do away with those who don't see my peace. But I will bring those who do into completion and whole relationship with me. And so in this personal person prologue, John speaks out to us and says a reminder that as we're walking this journey with Jesus, as we continue to encounter God's holiness, there are going to be moments and times of uncomfortability for us. (laughs) There are going to be places that we're going to go, I don't want to step into that. Because whether you... Depending on who you are personality-wise, some of us love conflict, some of us don't. Even those of us who love conflict, we don't want to be in conflict. We don't want to step into that place where we're going to recognize, I could be wrong. But it is the peacemaker who comes in and says, I need to bring you through it so that you will know it. Now, here's the other thing about this, this declaration of peace. It's to know this, that Jesus, the one who is coming, the one that John is proclaiming, the one who he is talking about, the one who ultimately walks up and Jesus says, look, here comes the man. I'm unworthy to undo his sandals. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, John, how are you doing? I need you to baptize me. And John says, I'm not going to baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no, you need to baptize me. And he does. He baptizes him. And, and Jesus then has the Holy Spirit come down like a dove and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in the, in the gospel of John, John relates the story. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's just them telling the story. But John, it's like John telling the story to John, saying, this is what happened. This is what I saw. This is how it took place. He points us to Jesus so that we will know that the Prince of Peace has come. And that he reigns. And that he is ever present. You know what I like about books or movies? 
I like when they have an epilogue. Now, a prologue is the thing that, that tells us kind of what's going to happen, but an epilogue is the thing that either sums up what took place or it gives us a future casting of what took place, right? So the epilogue maybe takes the book and says, the book ends, you know, the chapter ends with them right here, and then we jump ahead, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, Harry and, you know, Jenny are married and they have kids and, you know, whatever. I love that. I love that part of the books because sometimes movies end or books end and you're like, what happened? What's the rest of the story? And you turn a page and there it is and you get to find out kind of what took place. In chapter three of John, we get introduced to this concept of the epilogue. These men come to Jesus, uh, come to John and they say, hey, Jesus is over there baptizing people and, and you're baptizing people, and who should we follow? And John gives them this line. He says, I must decrease so that he must increase. Like, like, the, like the, the bride, is the, the groom is here, right? I, I, I'm, just a, I, I'm just the one, the, the best friend. I'm the best man. The, the groom is here. And so I need to decrease so that he can increase. In our conflicted hearts, in our, in our places that we are struggling, in those places where we want to elevate ourselves, where our identity comes askew, gets different from the way that God designed us to be, called us to be, manufactured and made us to be, created, purposed. How many other words can I think of that will resonate in your mind maybe about that? That in that place... How that happens is when we decrease and Christ increases. That's the reason why we need peace, because we're going to be in conflict <laughs> when that happens. We, we must decrease so that Christ may, that, that those things that are not of God, those things that don't stand up to the truth of, of God, they must diminish so that the truth of God and his love and mercy and grace can increase in us. And here's the awesome part of the epilogue. You and I are it. See, John introduces with a prologue. He introduces us then to a person who's a prologue. But then throughout the rest of the book, he moves to this place where at the very end, he says, I've written all these things so that you might believe. And in believing, we become the epilogue. We're the thing that people will look at and go, that's the rest of the story. So that's what happens. So when people are thinking about Christmas and Advent and they're like, well, what happens next? It's not, it's not the crucifixion and Easter. That does happen next, but that's not the epilogue. The epilogue is us. Those of us gathered together who are in Christ, living out what it means to be those who are peace. Let me pray for us. Let us be peace to those that we encounter today even when it means we have to step through conflict. And as we do that, let us walk in love, not in hatred. Let us walk in humility, not in pride. Let us walk in those places of kindness and generosity, not in rightness or wrath. But let us walk as you walk, saying, I will winnow out, I will take care of that which is not of me. 
because I want peace. So let us be your peace today. If there's anything that's not from you, God, we just ask that you burn it up, that it does not even be remembered when people walk out the door. But if there is something that is from you today, let it take root in our hearts and let it bring glory to you and cause us to do the good work of peace to those that we encounter. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and sing together.